Richard Fieldhouse. And I'm Sarah Chambers. And we're sitting uh, here uh, having a discussion about uh, a new article we're writing. It's not really an article, is it? It's a sort of almost like a handbook for, um, new, for, for GPs who are new to low communion, and particularly um, this time of year, summer 2017. It's about those, or for those GPs who have... Uh, just about to finish their yeah. training over the next few months and enter the brave new world of being a sessional GP. Perhaps, we hope, yes. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> um, and so GPs in training would have had between one and three years. In fact, I think it's minimum of two now, isn't it? We, we, both, we, we, we both trained 15, 20 years ago when it was a year, but I think now it's, it's, it's much longer than that. Well, it is now much longer than that. And so... Um, over that time, you would have been probably beautifully prepared to enter uh, the world of general practice as a partner, particularly, um, that's the aim, and or a salary GP, but might have just skipped over how to work as a locum. And, and, and that's where we come in, because you're probably aware that we set up the NAS GP 20 years ago this year, to, because... Uh, Having done our training, we realised that we were com really completely unprepared for, for the incredible amount of uh, actual information training needed to really thrive as a locum GP working in several dozen different practices every year in multiple consulting rooms across multiple areas. Um, so, Sarah, really, I suppose the stuff we've been putting... Down. We've already started drafting it. Mm. It's sort of along the areas, sort of mm. what sort of administrative hurdles are well, there? I, I mean, first, first thing I would say, and I think this needs to be said, is what is great about being a locum. Um, uh, you, you know, you've given the background that, that it was a pretty barren landscape being, uh, being a locum 20 years ago when NASGP was, was formed. And it was very much seen as... Um, an, an invisible thing or oh, something that you would your default was you were going to be in a practice and locuming was sort of well you're just a locum uh you know when are you going to get a, a proper job etc um to a temporary thing wasn't it, it? Was, nobody it was would ever become a career locum somewhere else and um and that's really unfair uh i think that's really unfair to to you well you you obviously richard you you found it unfair and it, it led to certain things that stemmed from that that you know we, we weren't locums weren't in the loop with with education and support and professional development you know you weren't officially recognized really by the nhs pension scheme so i know that's why you started the nhgp that was number one we list, couldn't get it? pensions us local yeah. we started locuming and there's no pension scheme at all so i think i think the first thing to say uh, is um, and this is you know this is why the nhgp was formed now got pensions thank you richard um <laughs> um is that actually it, it's it's not just something you're doing to fill in. You're not a stand-in. You're you are a GP, and you're a special kind of GP that works across lots of settings. And for some patients, uh, it's going to be better if they're seeing a named GP. But for most patients, many patients, it's going to be just brilliant that they're seeing um, any GP, <laughs> and that's you. Yeah. Uh, so it's good for patients. It's, it's good for you, uh, and if you're properly equipped, uh, which is where the NHGP comes in, trying to equip people with the, the, um, 
you know, the, the, the tools. Easy, to easy tools for how to locum and for, for passing on to practices, you know, what they need to equip locums with. You can do an absolutely fantastic job. So, you know, just it's a positive career choice. Never let anyone tell you you're just a locum. That's and the first thing I And it's exciting and you get to work in different practices as a as a GP registrar, you have been working in a, in a gold standard practice. It's a training practice. Uh, you, there, are certain, there are all sorts of um, um, levels uh, that, that your practice has to uh, uh, fulfil, um, quality indicators. But, but that's not the same for the practices you'll be locoming in, necessarily. Mm. Um, it's very variable, isn't very it? Very variable. And the practices will probably really really need you and you get to work in 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 different types of areas you've not worked in before lots of different practices some practices you'll get a fantastic welcome i remember even being um kissed a few times bizarrely <laughs> once on the lips i don't want to talk about that i know um but also sometimes you'll be ignored and you'll be shunned and you'll be th- and, and and you'll be I like this one you're in room three yeah, yeah. In, in a building where you've never been before. Yes, yes. But anyway, more on that later. Yeah. But but what it does mean, and this occurs to me another another thought, is that you are really unique in that lots of people who work uh, in practice, you'll notice this, they're in a bubble. Um, totally understandable. They're, they're working in one place um, and they just think that's it, that that's the way things are done. And then you come along... Um, and you can you can sort of have that insight and say, well, you know, but, and this can happen both in a, in consultations with with patients at an individual level where you're a fresh pair of eyes, but also just chatting to the staff about how the practice down the road does something differently, or have you heard about this service or this way of doing things? And you are you you are you are brilliantly placed uh, as as a as a cross pollinator. Of, um, of, of ideas and, and good practice and that's something that people who are practice based um, don't don't get a lot of exposure to so that's the other other massive positive for the whole kind of health economy really. yes and if you're sitting there or, or or driving there or running there or wherever you're listening to this podcast um, you're thinking yeah but how do I actually sort of spread this best practice well I mentioned tools we've actually created a fantastic tool on our practice platform it's the standardized practice information portal and within that you have the um we've given you the ability so whenever you're working in a practice you're signed into practice you've opened up that practices spip standardized practice information portal you're um you're on a page one of the hundreds of pages within there let's say it's dealing with um, um, the management of hypertension and if there's a piece of best practice that you've come across that this does this practice you feel this practice could benefit from y- you as a GP locum can input you can type in a comment or a message on that page for the other GPs in that practice to spread that best practice so yeah so uh, we're going to come on to um, uh, at some point there's several steps ahead there about actually being in the practice and working there but let's just rewind a little bit you're 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 a gp you're either a a registrar or a a gp um and you you're thinking about locuming and there's a few kind of important but boring bits i guess that that you have that you uh, have to do some administrative hurdles shall we call them Mm. um and the first the first thing would be just notifying 
certain people that that you're locoming. I think for the registrars, a lot of this probably actually now we're talking here. What is it? May two thousand seventeen. A lot of that stuff about the college telling the GMC that you're about to you're nearing the end of your training and that you'll be getting your uh, certificate of completion of training soon a lot of that will be happening already in the background and you'll be starting to get those emails from the GMC uh, inviting you to apply to uh, join the GP register which you need to be to be practicing that's the G- GMC's GP the register. GMC's GP register and because just GP registrars are already on the performers oh, uh, yeah that's right so when you're working in a in a practice the performers this side of thing uh, you will have you would have already done this um which is a great uh, uh, blessing, I think, because um, for GPs coming from elsewhere, you know, into the country or in from Scotland or something, to joining, uh, you know, moving around the UK between the different countries of the UK, it's... Um, it, it, it's not it, the slickest of processes, is I it? Think it's, I think there's signs, certainly the information on the websites are getting a bit, it's getting a bit clearer, so maybe they're shaping it, <laughs> it up. It has improved, it has improved. People will no doubt howl and write, write terrible things about it. Um so, so you're on that GP, G, GP register. That that will sort of almost be happening automatically. I think you do you do have to apply for that, but you get emails inviting you and notifying you. I think you've got twelve months once you have completed your training that on that CCT date you've got twelve months to apply to go onto the GP register register. But you're probably much well in, better informed about that from the GMC and the college and. Than, um, than from us. But and if you're not getting these notifications, then do follow that up. You should be expecting to get these. Yeah, as you near, I think I think they sort of talk about four months before your CCT date, you should start to get invites and things happening from the GMC. Yeah. But the key thing is you need to be on that GP register to, to practice as a, as a GP. Um, you also need to be on a performance list, which you already are if you're uh, a registrar, if, you, if you're... If you're um, completing your training um, and joining the GP register as a, uh, via the CCT route, you, you will already be in a UK practice and, and be on a performance list somewhere. But you do have to uh, tell the performance list about about a change of status. So if in your case, you'd be telling them that you're be- becoming a, a locum. And, in, and, and um, the research you've been doing to create this new... Uh, we're currently calling it the art of locoming our, our new um, uh, brand new uh, uh, handbook as it were for becoming a GP loan there are various forms you have to fill in for that aren't there and we've got some links to, to, to filling those there in there will be in the article we, we have got them for England um, there's an NPL national performance list three, three which is a change of status form so we've got all the links there and there's, as I say the, the website is shaping up quite quite nicely although there, there, there is a very important paragraph um, I think and I can't quote it chapter and verse but I think there is some um, automatic y- 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 it's it's dealing with the point can you start uh, uh, working uh, b- 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 before you've updated that and there is a nice paragraph in there again that's in the article that we're producing yeah, yeah. I think it sort of says ba- basically um, you can get working and people can check back with Health Education England or, or with the um, re- responsible officer if, um, if you want to. So being on the performance list, it's, it's, it, when you move from training, and this is uh, equally applies to, to, to GPs who are uh, partners or salaried, you know, being on the, on the performance list, it's about having a base for your appraisal and validation team. So 
you work out um, where you are, which 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 appraisal, which performance list you're going to be on. If you're in England, there are area teams. If you're in Scotland now, I understand there's um, uh, there's there's still the thirteen health boards, but thankfully for people joining, there's now one application process. Um, it's still not entirely clear the Scottish application process because you've had quite a bit of difficulty researching yeah, the provenance of it. I think it's it. all quite new. I think there was a there was obviously lots of pressure to to standardise it and make it so that if you're similar to can I say the English one is that sense to say but but if you're on one list you can work across the whole country and I think that has now happened but it only happened sort of late June two thousand sixteen. So, um, Northern Ireland have their performance list, the Wales has its own um, performance list, and I, un- I understand the feedback from our members is that the, the, the Wales seems to top the satisfaction. Wales are always ahead of the game, why know, is that? They would I do know. that with appraisal, the is just, Wales, yeah. Wales is the place to go. <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, Anywho, um, so that there's t- that is conf- it's a little bit con- confusing because the performance this is really about saying you're a person of good standing who's up to date with their training, who's not a criminal, etc. Um, but there is this other little, and, and, and so you have to tell them so that your responsible officer knows that you're now locoming and that you can be set up with an appraiser. But it's all, there is sort of an admin branch to it as well. Uh, in that updating the performance list also updates the, the pen, your pension. So if you have been attached to a practice, the pension your pension record needs to be updated to know that you're now locoming because that will affect how you pay your, your pension. So it's weird because you think, well, what's that got to do with the performance list? But certainly in England, there's sort of almost two parallel arms to the performance list. The NHS England and your area team are responsible for saying that you're safe to work and, and making decisions about you know whether you're safe to be included on the register but the administrative side of it you know change of status and you know if you move house or move region and change status you're you're already on the performances but you're just changing it a little bit that is that admin side of it is managed by primary care support england pcse um albeit farmed out to capita yeah it is (laughs) so there is this arm that you 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 have to you have to let them know so you've got an appraisal lead but you've also got your pension record updated so that's performance list a bit confusing the other thing you have to do is make sure you're you're notifying your indemnity provider that you're locoming and a rough estimate an estimate of how many sessions you're going to be working and keep an eye on that and make sure you're properly covered um, so I think that's the notifying bit that, that if you're moving the other thing you're going to need to do and this seems bizarre if you've recently gone through the process of, of having to join the performance list because you, you'll know it's a very document heavy process 21 um, pages or something like that I think it's more last is it oh, really um, more than 21 yes, it has become more 30 I think it's been the 30 Less. but anyway original documents at that but ha- Having got those original documents, I hope you've kept them in a safe place because what you'll need to do, and we're talking here about your, you know, your proof of identity, any DBS um, certificate that you've got, any occupational health documents that you've got, your CV, all of that stuff. And despite the fact that you will have needed it to be on the performance list, um, when you're looking to be engaged by practices, many practices will also want to check that quite rightly and check that themselves. So 
I hope you've got all that paperwork ready and, and maybe you know have the paper copies and electronic copies um, all stored in a place so it's really easy. And for, what, sorry, would you suggest would be a good place to store that information? Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna be quite upfront here and say that, that at points uh, during this podcast we will be talking about our very own um, uh, locum deck, which is our uh, electronic platform part of practice that we've. Uh, developed from our um, years of experience of, of coming up against uh, well if I could just sum up locum deck it would be that you just don't have to think about admin uh, it just makes all the administrative aspects of locuming um, go away we also have some if you like higher uh, ambitions and hopes for locum deck in that it will allow you to determine and set your own safe working boundaries but we'll perhaps come on to that later but just now if we're talking about admin yeah basically there's a facility that you can upload and store your crucial documents on the platform and there later on as we go through and um, talking about booking work and confirming work and you know, sharing details with practices um, you'll be able to see that there's a way to easily display that on your profile. To but I think you're being modest there because because local tech is a distillation of not just our knowledge of of UK general practice working as a locum, where we really greatly simplify all these systems and process into one online platform. I would also like to suggest not it's not just our knowledge, but it's also our wisdom, our philosophy, our our fundamental belief that you as GPs are fully qualified GPs and that you need to be empowered to have your professional autonomy. And and we don't think that really there is any other platform out there or any agency out there, or even doing it yourself, which is very difficult to do, and very complicated, uh, certainly very complex, which can become complicated. So we, that's why we've distilled this locum deck, it, 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 putting you in power. Um, and I, I know that sounds quite sort of lofty, but I really do think we've genuinely got there. Um, so, so, so putting these forms on there is not just helpful. The way in which we've done it, the way in which we've um, encased everything else around it, is it will actually, you will be better off um, by having that documentation on locum deck because... It, it, because everything else goes around it when the practice because the practice managers have to sign up to NASGP and we'll see your 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 information on there but also everything else that goes around with it of which we'll talk yeah later. I think okay okay lofty come thank you <laughs> come back, down back down me. to earth come down to earth and um, uh, I, I, I think the uh, we're talking about the sort of pr- the process of you thinking about starting to get re- to get ready to, to, to locum. So there's a little bit of forward planning here with your documentation, with informing people um, and talking to, to people to make sure you're properly covered. And then the other thing is going to be your, your close and personal equipment and stuff that you're going to carry around with you in your bag. Um, because certainly if you've been used to being in one practice, either as a practice-based fully qualified GP or a registrar, as you go around different practices, you will find that uh, equipment that's uh, available to you easily in the practice so it does vary so you've probably there's some stuff that you've probably already got because it's personal and to do with hygiene and and things like stethoscopes your alcohol wipes and and and, and well steth- i was thinking stethoscopes yes. otoscopes or thalmoscopes that sort of thing you've probably 
already got that. And I think, you, you know, you, 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 I think probably in our article, Richard, because we haven't quite formed no, we're still this developing. up yet. Uh, we probably would. You could make a massive list of everything from from you know, tendon hammers to gloves to lubricating gel. But in my mind, actually, I don't actually carry much. Um, I, I, and I think that's because I work in hours and I work. I I I kind of tend not to do visits. I tend not to do visits because I decided a while ago that I wasn't the best place person to do them. So that means actually, and and I think what I mean by this is, it sort of depends what you're going to be doing. Uh, but I think in our article we will we'll probably go through things that are easy to carry, light to carry, cheap for you to get hold of that are often missing in consulting rooms and the immediate things that spring to mind uh, would be um, your new pregnancy testing kits because mm. that's the number one thing I think of as being difficult to find and mm. you know all those ladies of childbearing age with odd abdominal pains and back pains and you just want to run off a pregnancy test to, to exclude because you can take you 10-15 minutes otherwise oh, to find something oh, so yeah. basically in a 10 minute consultation yeah. that more than doubles doubles to yeah. and, and some practices don't actually have them they won't I don't know where that comes from. I mean, so we've got a, we do have a list that we've developed at the moment. We've got some drugs in there and even um, some 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 doses, I think, we have and, and a few other things. But but so let's what, what, what let's talk about our doctor's bags. So we we've actually both got camera bags. We both use Loe Pro. Oh yeah. Low Pro bags. So you what's your describe your bag um, then? So it's got a main compartment where I can easily access my everything. It's a rucksack, stuff. isn't it? Mine's a rucksack, definitely. Uh, and it's got, uh, crucially, my favourite bit of my bag is it's got little side pockets where I put my water, water. bottle. <laughs> um, <clears throat> cold water, you need cold water. Um, uh, so that's nice. Uh, it's obviously, it's easy to then carry about um, upstairs. But also the water and, and so often some snacks. M&S do some lovely little sort of sachets of cashew nuts, etc, etc. But you can, sometimes you can be driving for an hour to a practice um, and I mean, I think sometimes the practices think, well, like the normal regular GPs, they only live 10, 15, 20 it's minutes not down the road. It's that they do live that close, but yeah. No, but, but sometimes but as locals, we, we can stuff. travel. I mean, going into a practice that you've never been to before and just help, you know, marching into the kitchen, you wouldn't do it. Whereas perhaps. You might not have time. Not all know where it is, even. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and so when you turn up, you might not necessarily get that cup of tea that you're used to getting at maybe some other practices or your training practice. And so you can actually not dehydrate, but it's, it, it's really nice to. Mm. Sometimes, I know some people bring a flask of coffee with them. Um, um, but, but certainly, certainly um, yeah. Nuts and water. Nuts and unless water. you're allergic, of course. So that. Um, yeah, so that there'll be some. Equi- equi- I think we'll have some equipment suggestions. I think, obviously, if you're doing visits, it becomes a bit more extensive. Um, uh, medications. Um, I, I, I think I think you get very hung up on the idea, perhaps, I don't know if you've been a trainee, where you have to, there's a certain set checklist that you have to have ticked. And I think the thing to understand with um, carrying um, medicines is, firstly, that it's to do with judging that there is no set mandatory prescriptive yeah. list it's 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 about being able to manage um reasonably manage medical emergencies and if you're the best person the best placed person to do that and that's going to depend on where you are geographically in the country how far you are from other services it's going to depend on whether you're doing visits or not etc so many other factors and um 
So I, I think that's the first thing to realise, that there is no set list, and you almost have to make a kind of personal decision about what you think is necessary. But personally, if you want to ask me what I carry, I do carry some things. Uh, I don't do visits. I'm in practice, so I, I, my first thing about um, medical emergencies actually is the most important thing is to, as part of your induction welcome, is to insist that you know where the emergency uh, drugs in the practice are kept, where the oxygen's kept, where the defibrillator's kept. And that should all be in the standardised practice information portal. So if you've signed up to Locum Deck, when um, NHTB's Locum Deck, and when you book organising this booking for this practice, the, you, there is a box where you ask the practice to give you access to their online Locum mm. Pack. And that's where all that stuff yeah. would should be, and you must insist that that's completed before you turn mm. up. And, and and I think that's that that is Spip. Spip is the voice of a newcomer, a, a person who's going to work in that practice, a locum, saying, "Where is this? Where is this? Where is it?" And it pr- prompts them to um, it tell you what you need to know because the comment from practice so often is, "We don't we don't know what you need to know because they're working with people who work there all the time, and they presume." They kind of presume that you're going to know all this stuff. They think that how they work is normal and the only way to work, and they don't realise that it's all you know, new and disorientating to you. And actually, each practice is different by 500 different points of information. Mm. So you could be literally in the practice next door, and they do things differently in 500 different ways. So I digress, but yeah, I, I, if I'm dealing with medical emergencies, I'd be far more... Um, my setting where I don't do visits and I'm in in hours mm. in a practice I would be I wouldn't be too hung up on my bag I'd be more hung up on finding out in each practice where things yes, are what they've got good, good point. Um, that's what I'd be and, and also how to summon help in a medical emergency I've been in some terribly convoluted little Victorian buildings and your consulting room is sort of down a corridor up some stairs then around a corner down some more stairs where do I get there's a panic button but does that automatically summon the police that's not what I need if someone collapses in front of me you know um so uh where's the where's the emergency stuff and how do I get help in a hurry um if you want to know what I do carry I carry stuff that matters uh, if, if if within minutes if someone's getting a get a condition that matters within minutes and then even if you have done your check of where things are it can be agonizing to get someone to to help you to to find, you know, bring the adrenaline for someone who's in anaphylactic. So you take you so carry adrenaline. I have adrenaline and I have the antibiotics. Um, IV antibiotics. I am. I am. I probably would go for I am, uh, and I have the, the relevant needles and water for injection, the, the dilutants for um, the antibiotics. I um, I I once did have a child. I was very worried about. And this was before the nice guidance, actually. Um, before they said, actually, you have to have a rash and, and be with it. And, and, and I thought, actually, this kid, I really do want to... I, I am worried about meningitis, and I do want to give him antibiotics. And even summoning someone, and just that agonising, waiting for people to unlock cupboards, and they're all in a kerfuffle because they don't have to do it that often. And actually, having stuff that you're familiar with, I think that would be more true with anaphylaxis. Um, mm which I haven't had to face yet, but we understand that allergies are on the rise and people can arrest within 30 minutes of eating yeah. a, an allergen. So I, that, that's my personal slant, but it's by no means that there is no prescriptive list. It's just what, have a think, and it's what you can justify. And of course, having got the stuff, um, you, well, you then have to source it and then you have to make sure it's up to date. So you need a system. I always bring paracetamol for me. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Because I've tried yeah. to get paracetamol from staff room. They've not, not, no, it's they've, true. They won't allow me to have headache, it. Yeah. Which goes back to having enough water, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, so there you are. You've notified all the relevant authorities. You've got your stuff ready. You've decided, and I, I guess actually in deciding what stuff you need, you also would have decided how and where you might be working, which comes on to the next part, really, which is how are you going to work? How are you going to find work? work? What are your channels for finding work? Um, But I think the first, and rather than just have the usual, oh, well, you can be freelance or you can be agency or you can be an online platform, I think the first important questions you need to ask yourself are why... Why are you locuming? What are your plans? And what are you hoping to get from it? I mean, for instance, if you're you know, newly qualified and you're attached to an area and you want to locum long-term in that area or you want to locum for the medium term whilst using locuming to find a, 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 a partnership or a practice, that might affect how you, you, you know, the channel that you choose to work on. At the other extreme, you might have someone who's uh, just really wants short-term, very intense work to, to fill the coffers on their way to something else. And, you know, that, those, those open up quite different ways of, of working. There's different considerations there. So what are the, what are the different options then? Well, I, I mean, my, in my mind, um, obviously uh, you've got the, the totally uh, freelance option, which, which strikes me as the first the first scenario I was talking about where you're based in an area and you want to get to know practices because you want to work there long term uh, or because you're looking for a practice or you wouldn't be averse if someone offered you a job um, I think you 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 would far more find it far more sustainable and in your interests to um, build relationships with those practices and I think you're going to perhaps find that easier to do if you're dealing with them as directly as possible um, working with uh, agent, and, and that can be a little bit more, you know, spade work up front. But it, it fits your aims, so it goes back to that thing about what yes. do you want from this? Um, agencies, you know, you go through a little bit of um, uh, induction where you are giving them all those documents and uploading stuff, etc. And then, and then they've got reach. You know, depending on the agency, they've got reach. That there's there's little hassle in finding work. There's lots of work out there, uh, and you get presented with all these these these, these jobs, uh, and then you look through them and and pick through the ones you want. And that's less work up front for you to find the work, but I think there's a few cautions and questions that you need to be asking of that approach, really. Um, which is, you know, where, where's, your, where's your network of practice in this? I mean, you could be, they can have a wide geographical reach. You might have been the Because as an agency to. locum, you're not developing that, that relationship with the practice. It's someone else. It's the agency. And, and practices, for various reasons, don't tend to choose a locum agency necessarily as their first choice, partly because of, mostly, well, mostly because of cost, mm. But also, agencies are so damned good at getting you work, and they're so good at getting the practices a locum. But a lot of the way they do that, there's a, there's a little bit of um, hassling going on. But a lot of it is actually you'd have to can often find you're having to travel an awful long way and working in unfamiliar practices. Not always, but but the but it's the agency locums that tend to be the ones who work end up working in unfamiliar practices. 
And again, because the practice manager has a relationship with the agency, not with you, you tend to be you're not you tend to be sort of almost kind of the middleman, really. Mm, mm. So sorry, that's what you're saying about if you're freelance independent locum, you actually that fully one hundred percent that you've got yeah. that relationship. I think so. I think there's several implications of that. Some of if you like having that barrier between you and the practice of a middle a middleman. Um, the 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 firstly for you personally, um, you have to think about the pension implications. Again, if you're doing this for the long term and you're being paid via an agency, you may well find that um, you're you're not eligible to to put that money through the NHS pension scheme. The other thing is if you know if that relationship, or the booking relationship, agreeing your terms and conditions is actually being done on your behalf, you might think, oh great, it saves you work up front doing that, but but you know therefore who is setting your your safe working boundaries who is the um, customer and who is the product yeah well exactly you if the the, the practice the, the agency that signs you up or the online booking platform they may appear very welcoming to you of course they want you on board because they need to have something to sell the practices but their primary client relationship is with the practice they call the practice their clients and because the practice is paying the practice is the paying customer and you are you know the commodity and you know i just it's, it's just thinking about how that feels and what that means for your terms and conditions um and whether you know is that something you can build a career on is that something that's going to be good for your longer term if, if you're doing locoming for the long term is that something that's going to be good for your longer term professional development um the other thing to think about there is you know is is how much choice you're getting in terms of building up your networks we'll talk about building networks as a locum in, in, soon um but y- 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 this is a very hard anything in medicine is hard to do without colleagues and support and camaraderie the informal support of, of camaraderie as i say but also the formal support and um i just don't know how that works if wh- where are you if there's a complaint or a significant event where are you um with an agency um, other things to watch for, I mean, we've heard, we, we often get people commenting that uh, the cancellation uh, policies, if you're, if you're booked as an agency and then and their practice cancels you, again, this thing about the, 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 the agency is buddy-buddy with the practice, not you. So ask about what happens if, if you're cancelled, because uh, some people have been out of pocket because of that. And the other thing is, well, you, I think you probably, the other thing... Beware thi- of Greek sparing gifts... Yeah, the the clause. So again, this thing about if you are some reading the small print of the terms and conditions of some um, agencies and platforms, if you are in, felt to have been introduced to that practice by by the agency, um, there will be some form of exclusivity. Often we call means, we call it the Trojan horse. Contract. Yeah, because it sort of says that then if you then want to work there in the future, you only as a partner can, or a salary GP, or even as a locum, you, you can only ever work there via that platform or agency. Um, and then if 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 you do get offered a job or you want a job there, there may well be some penalty to the uh, to you or the practice for doing that. Um, oft quoted one is fifteen percent of your first year's salary so it, it could end up being a bit of a deal breaker um so that's why but i, I, I and, and particularly just just to re-emphasize this is I, I think just this is so shocking that if you're a gp newly qualified gp and you're looking to work in a practice and you you're using one of these agencies or online platforms with a trojan horse contract and you're thinking oh that's a nice contract i'll get some local work there and you get it through one of these platforms or agencies 
that practice will be incentivized not to actually mm. ever engage you as a, an, uh, as a salary GP or a partner for the next 12 to 18 mm. months because of this massive 15% fine yeah. that they, they will face. Yeah. So, um, as Sarah was saying, what is if you, if, if you just want to locum and never become a salary or a partner, certainly in the next 18 months, then, then using online platforms, using agencies... Um, with that sort of inbuilt Trojanals contract is fine, but otherwise, if they've got if they've got those contracts in, I would suggest walk away. And and in, in our own uh, NSGP's locum deck, where we where, where practice are able to book you, and in, in on locum deck we don't actually we don't charge the practice. We actually charge the locums. You pay a small percentage uh, for for being instantly booked. But we categorically state that we do not have a Trojan horse contract. Mm. In fact, on if when you log into practice next time, you'll see some job adverts there. We're actually actively encouraging GP practices to. St- Steal you lovely locums away from the yeah. National Association and become partners and salary GPs. So. Because it's about supporting general practice. That's what we do. And that's what we've been doing for 20 years. So, yeah. It, we, I mean, we don't know how enforceable these these uh, these exclusivity things are, but they're there. They are written in the small print, so presumably they are meant to be of some meaning. Well, it'd be bloody terrifying, <laughs> I think, actually, if you're a practice manager. I mean, even if, even if you can get around it. I mean, I think there is a famous case in the last couple of years of a famous football player who was stolen from, from one football club to, to another. Um, and, uh, and apparently he's managed to get away with it. But I'm sorry, but that's not a reassurance to a practice manager who, who, yeah, um, yeah. who she sees that clause, he sees that clause, they'll run away. So um, be careful. I think, I think the other caution is, as I say, thinking about your, your support network and where's, where's the support. I know that um, some of the agencies have packages saying, oh, we will help you with your appraisal, but I'm, I haven't heard any feedback how good they are. And it might be that there's some other stipulation that you have to do all of your work or most of your work through them, etc. So um, just think about where your support network is. And if you're... As I say, someone that's that's staying in your local area and you've got other locum groups around you and you just want to do short-term burst of locomy and before heading somewhere else, they, they've got fantastic reach, quick, effortless booking, but, <laughs> okay, some cautions. So finding your own work, bit bit trickier. Um, we're, we're kind of now heading into the territory of... Um, channels for finding your own work and things to think about when you're actually making a booking and this is where we come up with the sort of the the um the the, the local deck idea as well again um which, which is it's, it's relatively hot off the press local deck it's been out there a few months but what because practices uh, sign up to locum deck and um, um, they're on the platform. They're what we call on the global list. So you, as a as a, as a newly qualified GP signing in, you can um, um, access practices, and practices will be able to see you on the platform, um, and, uh, and 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 book you, and 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 make either manually book you, and of course we make no charge for that, or the practices can actually instantly book you. But so there's a whole lot more to do. Well, that's probably actually Sarah the uh, whole topic for another. It is. I think the whole, the whole area of um, realizing, uh, you know, a practice could say to you, "Come and work." Let, let's just leave this little teaser here. You know, you you a practice says to you, "Can you come and work for us for a morning ne- next Thursday?" 
Now, your idea of what that morning may entail may be very, very different to what the practice means. And so... Um, As I, many of us have discovered mm, time and time again. And e- this is something even to watch for if you're being... Uh, and indeed, I would say it's one of the, the things that would um, make me... Uh, I would really be asking any agency you're working for. So th- this applies to whether you're booking your own work, whether you're going through an agency or an online platform... You need, really need to drill down to what that means, what's in that session, what's expected of you, how's it being defined, and where's your input into all of this, um, and setting your terms and conditions. And that is a whole topic in itself. Yes, and that's part of that. That's the, uh, a lot, Some of what we've talked about, a lot of what we've talked about, we've already sort of distilled now into our document. It's this way we're thrashing out now um, and put it in a nice, pithy, uh, interesting way. But I think, Sarah, then we should probably come back to do a separate podcast on that, um, that and and, le- and leave this here then. So hope that's been of interest um, and and please do feedback um, leave us a review on on iTunes if you want or, or, or tell your friends about this podcast please share it if you, this has been of interest to you um, do check out the NESP website the practice area the locum deck stuff and uh, we'll be back with you soon for um, part two part two thank you thank you